0: This is Space Cat's Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 3, Politics and Imperial. Music by Ben Prunty. Featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson.
1: Seven-player game where it was Jack and Sean and Alex, yes. and they—the most frustrating—the butt the but brothers, the butthole brothers, the butthole brothers. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. It was what it. It was not an alliance.
0: It was two sort of newer players, not not brand new, not mm-hmm. they knew the game, they knew the game, but two newer players deciding that they wanted Sean to be their king. Yeah, they and, were. They were vast, and wide, they turned basically. a seven-player game into now everyone has to ally up it because no one's going to be able to defeat these three people who have just hundred percent agreed to give all of their power to sean mm-hmm. they and was sean was clan Saar, which is like a really weird race to give all of your yeah. backing yeah. to yeah so, but he
1: had his Sar ball yeah and he was supported by like two different yeah he was bo- fine yeah yeah and just, he had his flagship too i remember it was crazy and then, like, the the other side of the just, board... Yeah, it
0: forced the entire other side of the board to fight against it. And the other side of the together. board
1: hadn't been all on the same page. Right. We had been fighting each other, and then we formed, like, the the most, uh, like, there was no heart in it. Yeah. It was like, okay, well, we I guess... We just have to do this thing. We just have to do it, and we haven't been cool with each other, and we don't even know how to make this work, yeah. But, yeah. but... Yeah. That's, uh... That was, like, one of the worst games I can think of. Like, and they were just <laughs> laughing the whole yeah. way through it. But.
0: Miserable. Um... So let's jump into some Ti4 stuff. Um, today I want to talk about. We're, we're continuing in our trend of like we want to focus in on the strategy cards, um, and let those discussions guide us into like racial discussions and and uh, phase discussions. So today we're going to talk about um, the politics strategy card and imperial, and we're going to actually start with uh, imperial, which is the number eight strategy card. Uh, and the reason I want to start with Imperial is because we haven't really gone over, like, what the phases are. They're the same as the way they were in TI3, but if you're newer, um, there's really one phase, and then there's two secondary Just kind of housekeeping, housekeeping phases. phases. Um, and the, the first one is the strategy phase, which is where you pick these strategy cards that we've been talking about. And honestly, it's always the hardest part of teaching a game of TI is you teach all these mechanics... And then you also have to go, oh, pick between these eight things that all have intrinsic systems to them. Right. And, like, you just have to make this decision, and it's, like, the hardest... No one wants to make it blind. Mm-hmm. and you, so you as pretty the... much have to. And you pretty much have to. And I don't want to, like, tell you exactly which one you should get. Mm-hmm. And so it's always just a messy situation. During the strategy phase, you pick the strategy cards, and this is where the power of the speaker token comes in. There's really two reasons the speaker token is a powerful device and the first of which is because you get to pick um your strategy card first Mm -hmm. and i think ti does this weird interesting thing of shaking up um turn dynamics to such an extent that like there's just never a routine that was the problem with ti3 base game right was this routine of Someone takes initiative to get Imperial. Chaos, and, and when TI shines is when you get chaos. And they've definitely fixed that in this base game. There is no reason why, like, the speaker token should cycle around in a specific mm-hmm. order. The other phase is um, that that's not as heavy. We've talked a lot about the action phase and just all the, you know, command tokens and warfare and all this stuff. Uh, but the other big one is the status phase. And this is where Imperial is an important thing um, because Imperial lets you score public objectives outside of the status phase normally you're only able to score um public objectives during the status phase and getting into what objectives are in ti4 i think helps us understand the new way that twilight imperium is going to be played Mm -hmm. because now we have way more secret objectives which i think is something we all always wanted Yep, and they they Added preliminary objectives later into Ti3, but it never quite solved the problem of secret objectives, mm-hmm. which is like I have a secret objective, but sometimes maybe I can't do it, and I'm right. just doomed. Like I'm just I'll always be. It's so stupid that punch. they made
1: it that the system for it was just like here's your one secret objective, take it, mm-hmm. and that's it, and you're stuck with it, and there's no way to get rid of one mm-hmm. or trade it out or whatever. I guess what you technically get to pick between two. Uh, that that's that's a house rule. Yeah. Okay. So to, so yeah, you're just given. Yeah. Mm. So we've had to we house. I don't even remember how it goes normally because we, we would get house one. rule it. But yeah. No. The fact that you would just get stuck with some secret objective at some point that you can't. You, sometimes you literally cannot fulfill. Yeah. Um. Under any circumstance was really uh was really silly. So now
0: beginning of the game you they changed our house rule into a rule. You get Ooh. two secret objectives. You keep one. And now the imperial card lets you continue to gain more secret objectives throughout the game of which you can have up to three ever. And that's whether or not you scored it or not. And that's huge. Three secret objectives. A, I love it because it is the same point value as a preliminary and two secrets. Like you would have had in TI three, but it is just like infinitely more dynamic because you're going to be able to cycle through these secret objectives. The secret objectives, you know, are, are a lot of the same sort of like, I control these types of planets. I control this many planets. I control this many tech. Um, it, there aren't that many secret objectives that require you to attack other players. And this was like what ended up being the major complaint of TI3 base game. was mm-hmm. like You could just so easily Cold War up and never attack anyone and still win the game. And I just really wonder if TI4 is going to run into this same
1: problem. I hope not. But yeah, I mean, looking at it, like there's a lot of stuff that's just like... Build five dreadnoughts. Mm-hmm. Cool. Have three space dogs. Have, Have four Sp- PDFs. Yeah, like, it's, like, really basic stuff. But, I don't know, perhaps the public objectives will get people fighting more than the secret objectives having, having
0: the Having the, like, desire to fulfill... Or having the desire to do transactions and, mm-hmm. like, trade gets people next to each other. Hopefully right. that becomes a big deal. And I think part of the issue of the like the cold war scenario of ti um is something that like when we started playing we started playing with the base game and then as we got the expansions we were learning more and more about the importance of engaging in combat right and so i feel like now we have this deeper understanding of like don't let your opponents. Build
1: all four PDS. Like,
0: no, be aware of what they might be going for, mm-hmm. and get in their way. Right. And I, and I think TI4 is less about scoring your own objectives, and it's more about preventing other people from scoring their objectives. That's true, objective. that's
1: true. Cause Cause, I see it feels like there's more objectives out there to be scored, there's, and more points to yeah, be had. Yeah,
0: there's more points to be had, and so many of the points that you're gonna be able to score are things you're gonna be able to do in your base, just like, at a basic level, mm-hmm. and if you want to win, it's gonna be stopping your neighbors from being able to do the same thing right and protecting yourself from your neighbor stopping you so i feel like high level play is going to be all based around that dynamic
1: also it just depends on like how like a lot of these like pds is built completely differently now i just realized that having Mm -hmm. four pds units on the board actually might take
0: take about three rounds yeah
1: that's a a lot of time actually for a secret objective yeah um so i mean yeah a lot of this stuff we're kind of we're kind of making assumptions about how the economy is going to work. Yeah.
0: Um, um, it's worth noting of the public objectives, there's like four public objectives that require you to, to get out into the universe, into, mm-hmm. into the galaxy, mm-hmm. and so many of the other ones are all withholding resources until the end of the phase. Right. Which is an A interesting... I mean, yeah, it's own technology, spend influence, spend trade goods, spend resources. There are six out of 20... Public objectives that involve you controlling planets. That's crazy. That, like, on the board, you're going to see people not wanting to go. So that puts all of the power in the secret objectives being what forces you to attack each other. And even those don't have that many. So it's just like you have to be hyper aware of people turtling up.
1: You know, maybe that I feel like, though, in looking at this, I'm feeling like maybe the discussion went something like this. Okay, we want TI to be... You know, um, we want the games to be interesting. We want uh, conflict. It's a space opera. There's got to be war, basically. Mm-hmm. But maybe the discussion was more like, let's just make all of the objectives just kind of economic, basically. And if we make them all focus that way, every game is going to, there's just not going to be enough to go around, basically. Maybe yeah. that, maybe basically that was the discussion is like, because they, Because they definitely cut some of the more obviously threatening, like blockading. For sure. Like they they cut a lot of those. And I think maybe the discussion was like okay, so we could either just have cards that say, hit the guy next to you, or we could just make all of the cards basically be like, uh, you got to we need you spending money, we need you yeah. doing stuff and then and then not give you enough money to do all these right. things. You're going to have to go to war with your neighbors. Yeah.
0: We've already talked about like it feels like command counters are going to be in a shorter supply. And so to, the the power of an objective saying spend command counters just got increased, right? That requires you to turtle more, but it also requires you to be aware when someone is doing that. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, I don't know how you stop someone from holding on to their command counters, but I just feel like the threat of getting up in people's home systems is going to be bigger because you are going to want to stop them from scoring these easy, technically easy objectives. Yeah, I think um, again at low, like at beginner level play, it is going to just be Cold War, and I feel like that's going to maybe turn some people off of the game?
1: Yeah, of like, oh, like, I just build my thingies. Yeah. That's all I do. This is just a game where I build thingies. And so
0: it's 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 going to be a it weird... It depends,
1: on, It depends on how the... It's hard to imagine mm-hmm. how the economy of the game is going to work, actually. It's kind of hard to picture. Things like the purchasing power yeah. of resources, yeah. you know? Like, how much are your resources worth and how much are you going to have on average? Like, th- that's really hard to imagine. And I think
0: part of what might something that always happens in TI is people forget about the objectives and they get really into the space opera side of it, which is mm-hmm. great. That's the point of the game, right? And they get into this like grand strategy mindset and oftentimes that makes them forget about fulfilling objectives and they get too into just like building up this crazy army. Mm-hmm. And I think they've made different mechanics so enticing. I mean, tech is definitely easier to get high-level tech now. Mm-hmm. And like the thrall... Of getting those huge techs and using them against other people mm-hmm. is going to be so intense that, like, of course, that stuff is going to happen. It's going to drive you. Whether you're, yeah, you're yeah. you're going to want to get the tech that lets you take two tactical actions because it's so within your grasp and like.
1: And also, you have an, a, a secret objective that would you know that you could claim if you had yeah. that for that as well. So, so but you know, now that I I say all this and I there. I don't know Well, this is this part of the game that i feel like we're talking about is really hard to to judge, to judge at this point um mm-hmm. because it's just like there's so many little factors yep. that could drive this like even like how much units cost yeah. should be factored into like this discussion this yep. is a very mathy like statistical yep. discussion that yep. frankly i kind of feel a little it's just a little hard to imagine at this point right So let's pivot a little bit.
0: One of the other abilities of Imperial, um, it kind of, they did this in one of the expansion strategy cards, but they've put the ability of when you play Imperial, if you control Mechatol Rex, you can score a victory point. So they put this power back into controlling Megatol Rex. And they've also given one particular race the power to play off of that in a major way. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the Winu. I go back and forth every day about whether or not I think the new Winu is a good race or a bad race. <laughs> Their abilities are blood ties. You do not have to spend influence to remove the Custodian's token from Mechatorex. Let's talk about the new Mechatorex, yeah. right? So before, there was just nothing. Mm-hmm. You can just take Mechatorex. Yeah, it's just an empty planet. Then they added Custodians of Mechatorex. So it was just a little force you had to fight through. And this is as they were both expansions of TI3 ramped up the warfare side of things, Mm -hmm. which some people don't like. Some people think it's what saved the game, Mm -hmm. whatever. They've given a new power to Rex where you can't fight your way into it. You purely have to spend six influence. Now, you can always spend trade goods as influence, so Mm -hmm. the way to get through that is either... You have a ton of trade goods, or you control a lot of planets that have good influence value. And then
1: you're literally tapping And you're spending all of
0: your money that round to take Mechatol Rex. So it's a huge investment to take Mechatol Rex
1: now. I love that idea. What I
0: also love about it is they don't have any more of these secret... Before, every secret objective... Not every, but most secret objectives involved you taking Mechatol Rex controlling it having a space dock and having x number of whatevers Mm -hmm. and that's the only way they could like convince people to get towards the center of the board and it feels like in ti4 they've just said you know what that's not as important anymore it's not it's not about everyone getting to the center it's about everyone getting into each other's stuff right and so they've given this one race this power of like but you you should go to the center of the board. Right. Because now they don't they don't need that influence to just take Mechatal Rex. And also this other weird ability that has like an, a sort of timing f- window. But after you resolve a tactical action during which you gained control of Mechatal Rex, you can place a PDS and a space dock from your reinforcements on Mechatal This is kind of a one-time use thing technically. Obviously you can do it more than once, but it's going to be super useful one time. And that's you took Mechatal Rex and now your base is set up and ready. And as far as I'm reading this this ability... Um, you gain control of Mecha Tal Rex, and then the production step happens. So I feel like you could technically move your stuff in, put your PDS and space dock down, and then build out of that space dock immediately. Hey guys, Matt from the future here. Uh, I just want to say before you all get at me, um, I am totally wrong about this. This is something we've caught even before we needed to do an errata for this episode. The wording is such that you would actually finish the entire tactical action before this effect happens and so to be able to build would not actually be true so the only way you're going to be able to do this is if you have something like fleet logistics or you took warfare and can pull that token back but you are not going to be able to build immediately sorry for being so wrong hunter is this good
1: it's so specific it's it's myopic it's like it's just yeah it's it's one of those racial abilities where it feels like it's like it's a nice boost Mm -hmm. um honestly i think that if they wanted to make a mechatol race um they should have it should even have another thing they need even more like it just needs to be like Mm -hmm. they get like i mean i don't even know what it could be because the other thing too is this this it's not very creative it's kind of boring right because it's basically just like all right. Well, uh, you have one strategy. You have one strategy, and that's not good. Like, like the the really good races in TI. What makes their abilities interesting is that they can, like, with the Hassan, just having lots of trade goods, yeah. you can apply do that. Do anything. You can do so mm-hmm. much with that. Like that can be applied in so many different ways. This is a, like, way yeah. too specific. And
0: it's so weird because the previous Winu, like the as far as the lore goes, yeah, that this is what kind of function they they mm-hmm. filled. But the previous Winu their abilities were just like, oh, you're good at everything. Use it however you want. You have a planet that has a technology specialty. You can always use a bunch of influence on votes. Like, they just had all of these different powers that related to every aspect of the game, and you could just kind of use that however you wanted. And they were, in my opinion, a really good race because of that. Mm -hmm. It was that same idea of just like, it's open-ended. You figure out how to make it work. And now, like we're saying, here is, they're they're telling you, here is your strategy. You don't have any other resources with which to gain the upper hand. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about before, the races that are really good are the ones that have abilities that specifically score them victory points. Help them fulfill objectives. Help them do these right. things. And like you can make the argument that this ability does that, right? Like, because They're going to get that one Me as the Winu, I can take Imperial. They're definitely going
1: to get at least one Megatall point right. every game.
0: You You take... When you take Mechatorex, you get a point, point. Mm-hmm. and then the the problem though that I have is it's too easy to block. Like all you need to do is someone else needs to take Imperial, and they're not going to get that point. Right. And there's been a lot of discussion too about the fact that honestly the Winu's starting force, considering like oh, you it's, it's, you've given them this that. you've given them this strategy, that is go to Mequitarex, but you have given them a force that. Does not have can a very barely easy. Get there. They've th- got two infantry. It's gonna take them two or three rounds to to get there. Their carrier. Your turn. Your round one play might have to be start with any mass deflectors. Get take tech God. to get XRD transporters to get your units one space away from Mechatol Rex so that next round you can take Mechatol Rex or somehow get the money to buy XRD transporters yourself. Take warfare, move, reactivate, or, you know, unactivate, move again. It's all, of such the, a...
1: all of the best racial abilities mm-hmm. are abilities that you get to use all the time. Yeah.
0: And, all of the time. And this one is use it this one time. And that goes for their racial tech, too. Both of their racial tech is so weirdly specific. Um, well, one of them in particular. During your tactical actions, if you do not control Mechatolrex, treat its system as if it contains both an alpha and beta wormhole. And then, Not as an specific. action, if you control Mechatol Rex, exhaust this card to place one infantry from your reinforcements. So, as an action, you can do the soul ability. And if you don't control Mechatol Rex, if you have a wormhole within range of you, you can maybe take it. So, this tech might be useful if you get a map where you start with a wormhole right next to you. Mm-hmm. That, then this tech becomes useful. Otherwise, useless tech. The second tech is exhaust this card when one or more of your units uses production. You can swap the resource and influence values of one planet you control until the end of your turn. They gave the old Yin power, which is the only good thing the Yin had. They gave it to the winner, which I'm (laughs) cool with. It makes sense for their whole thing, and I I love that ability, honestly. They
1: still have to purchase it as racial tech. Right,
0: right. So... I just... I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it always comes down to... So what is your strategy as the winner? What are you going to do? Okay, well, if I'm playing by what my race's abilities are, I should get to Mecha Rex as fast as possible, get that point, hopefully get a second point from playing like Imperial, the way, yeah. and then what? I, I hold up on Mecha Rex as long as I can? Like, where am I getting my other points from? Also, to get all of my stuff to Mecha Rex... Do I even have stuff still at my home base? Like, I've split myself up a lot. I, I need to build this network between myself and Rex so that neither becomes
1: vulnerable. I like that they give the Winu, like, a free space dock it's necessary. on Mekatol. Well, it's necessary, but it's it's not... Um, Mecatol is actually not a very good planet produce size. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, they just... It needs to be, like... If, if they're going to go so hardcore Mechatol, then they should have some pretty ridiculous Mechatol abilities. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, like more production yeah. than you can get normally. I mean, I, like, I feel
0: like if you're going with this strategy, you have to upgrade your space docks. you got to get Enviro Compensators. Mm-hmm. It's like the only...
1: Dude, but now we're talking about too much tech yeah. that you have to buy. Right. Like, the XRD, completely necessary in order to just get there. Yep. Uh Two yellow techs manner. plus, like, you got to have two yellow techs, then get... And years. now we got to beef up their production. Yeah. It's like they're they're not they're, they're definitely not getting not given enough advantages. Yeah.
0: They're they their advantages come too and early and then too late. Dude,
1: there's definitely going to be games too where you're playing as the winu and you look at the public objectives or like the secret objectives that you get and you're like, dude, it does not make sense for me to just run straight for Magnolia right. right now. Like, and I,
0: then what? What is the point of being the winu? Yeah, and then now, I'm just playing as basic, not race, generic yeah. race, yeah. yeah.
1: I don't know, man. In, in my opinion, the more we talk about, it, the more I feel like the window might be one of the worst races now. Yeah,
0: I think it's gonna. I think there's gonna be games where you can make it work, but more often than not. It's just going to not quite feel like enough.
1: Let's let's read their flagship, at least. Yeah,
0: so the, the flagship is just a kind out of out-of-left-field thing. It's the same as their old flagship. And it's a really great flagship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when this unit makes a combat roll, it rolls a number of dice equal to the number of opponents' non-fighter ships in this system. So the bigger the fleet you're up against, the more times it rolls against it. But its roll is only on a 7. Yeah. So it's kind of this weird... Eh. Eh. Um,
1: capacity three that's not that's good move, move on one that bad. sucks that's yep. the
0: problem is all their stuff is like their ability revolves around them getting pretty far across the board and they don't have anything that helps them do that and i think that is the major
1: problem i think they could have used one more ability yeah actually just something something to throw some sort like of yeah. maybe a political ability like something that's what they used to have yeah, yeah they, they used to have like a yeah Something like that. Honestly, I was never interested in them in Ti3, and my interest level, I would say, has only gone down with the Winu. So let's talk about
0: why, what the advantage maybe of taking Mechatorx this early is, though, because here is the one place where I think it's up to chance, but it Mm -hmm. is where the Winu's ability could win them the game, and that is when you take, when someone takes Mechatorx, when they remove that. Custodians. The custodians. Uh, when they remove mm-hmm. the custodians, that now enacts the fourth phase of the game, the agenda phase. And the agenda phase is really awesome. Let's break it down uh, how, how agendas work now. It's something everyone has always wanted, which is people want to do political things every round. Mm-hmm.
1: And they don't want to have to take, like, it's, political is something that should just have to happen. Right.
0: Because you can't control, you can't necessarily control what the agenda is going to be, and if you're going to be on the winning side of that agenda. Mm-hmm. So why would you ever take politics in TI3? It was right. always just this weird, like, I need to shake things up. I'm, I'm in a losing position, and I need to hopefully shake things up, so I guess I'll take politics. Yeah. But now, they've made it to where, once Mechatol's taken, there's going to be an agenda phase, and taking politics, A, gets you the speaker token, which is good, or lets you control the speaker token, which is let's, always... Let's
1: talk about the agenda phase first, and then get to... The yeah, okay,
0: the so part. so... Uh, the only reason I was bringing up politics is one of the things that taking politics lets you do is control what the top two cards of the agenda deck might ah, be. So yes. that that's that's the power of the politics card. Not huge, still just as kind of like reliant on chance as before, but at least there's a little bit of an incentive to to control that within the agenda phase. Um, here were the problems with political agendas before. First off, they were I loved doing them, but the issue always was. There was this thing in TI3 where they really wanted to put a lot of power on timing windows. When are you going to play Mm -hmm. politics? Mm -hmm. When are you going to do the agenda phase? Because what you typically would want to do is wait for other people to spend a lot of their planets so that you have more influence than other people. And that's a cool idea, but it's so rarely worked out that way. I feel like I've done way more agendas where everyone's already spent all the resources. You've got two votes. You've got a vote. You've got two votes. He's got three votes. Let's do the agenda.
1: It also it it makes the phase itself less exciting mm-hmm. because it feels like everybody's barely even got anything left to vote with, right? And like I can't tell you how many political phases I've had where actually what happened is everyone had exhausted everything except for like one person, and then they just automatically won. They just got to they do had the like vote, a couple right. points. And yeah, like p- politics was all, always had so much potential mm-hmm. drama built into it, and. It, no. and God, they just they fixed it. Yeah. This is probably the best decision that they made So, in
0: TI4. So once that Mechatar Rex is taken, it always happens, which is nice because making it a delayed phase is great because one of the other problems with old political cards was because they were, like, something that could happen whenever, some of the political cards were was something that benefited people if it happened earlier, mm-hmm. and some of them were only a big deal if it was late in the game. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you would pull a political card first time anyone played politics, and it would be one of those late-game political cards. And it would just kind of be like, "Eh, dud, the vote won't matter. It's not going to impact anything at all. Whereas now, I haven't read the political cards. I kind of am intentionally not reading the political cards because I just like the idea of being surprised by them. But the new idea behind political cards, I feel like could be that they are all a little bit more geared towards mid and late game scenarios and there won't be as many things that impact early game because the nature of it is in most games it will be a delayed phase Mm -hmm. so the way the agenda phase works now is instead of it being your available influence which was always kind of the weird muddy problem with it all of your planet's influence are going to count towards the agendas but, and I feel like they took maybe some notes. I mean, there's multiple games that do this idea, but the one that comes most to mind is the Game of Thrones board game. The way they do different votes is like, you've got your whole supply of votes, but we're going to do two agendas back to back, mm-hmm. and you have to decide how many votes you spend Towards, per yeah, agenda. So, that's more important. the way it's going to happen is you're going to reveal one agenda, and you have to then decide is this worth like all of my political capital mm-hmm. to prevent or make happen knowing that there's going to be another random agenda that I have to also spend my points on. So there's always going to be the situation of like some people put all their votes towards the first one and mm-hmm. someone else is like, you know what, actually that's not going to impact me that much. I'm going to abstain and hold all of my votes for, for the next the agenda. second agenda. Yeah. And also having two agendas is just more fun period because right. it's more agendas and that was what always that's what everybody always wanted was mm-hmm. let's get more agendas because agendas are what shake up the game and in my opinion that was like the very first thing that ever excited me about TI yeah is same, knowing that same. there's this mechanic in the game that sh- fundamentally changes the rules of the game mm-hmm. and and for it to happen twice every single round is just such a cool amazing thing and it, it's it going is. to it kind of brings back back in this thing that um, made TI3 really good, which is the strategy of Twilight Imperium is is less about how am I going to specifically score these set objectives, how am I going to enact this strategy that all culminates in this one thing happening perfectly, and it's more the strategy of Twilight Imperium is setting yourself up to roll with the punches. Mm Mm-hmm. You need to s- establish an empire that will be able to fulfill these randomly appearing objectives and, like, be able to deal with whatever the game board throws at you. And the agenda phase is, like, the perfect confluence of that idea. Like, everything culminates in you got to be ready to deal with whatever yeah. the agenda phase yeah. throws at you mm-hmm. and, like, be able to deal with it.
1: I would say in TI3, I, uh, at this point, can plan my entire game pretty fast into a ti game um and i rarely have to make that many adjustments to the plan you know it's like i'll see i'll get my preliminary i'll see the public objectives and i'll think okay i can do this on that round this on that round i can i can plan it pretty fast now i feel like i kind of understand all the variables and it very rarely gets that shaken up yeah and i think this new one is gonna that's that will not be the case i think it's gonna be bonkers because especially doing two every round you know like there's a lot of impact because some of those
0: political i mean there are definitely some agendas in ti3 where it's like are you kidding me? That completely cha- like mm-hmm. I mean the one that always comes to mind for me is the one that closes all the wormholes and in some some games it's not a big deal but in some games that is everything. Mm-hmm. It's just the biggest deal in the world to just suddenly take wormholes out of the game mm-hmm. or like the ones where it's just like uh, everyone's gonna do really... the fleet supply ones yeah. are insane. There's yeah.
1: the one where the fleet supply doesn't matter anymore yeah. and just everyone That's suddenly ridiculous. develops
0: or the, I think the inverse of that one is you can never have, like, more than two, two of any yeah. kind of ship. Yeah, and it makes like... everyone have these really weirdly balanced fleets. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So, uh, to go back to the Winu a little bit, I think the the power of the Winu will come in. Me, as the Winu player, I need to get to Mechatol Rex as fast as possible mm-hmm. and establish my political um, superiority... Over everyone, because, I mean, Mechatol Rex is still a 1-6. Like, you still get 6 influence from it. So in those first two rounds of, like, those first few agendas, you're going to be the guy that decides them. And that's where you make or break your Winu game. Now, again, it's left up to chance a little bit because you might not get great agendas, but you can almost guarantee you're going to be on the better end of any of those agendas i figured out
1: what the Winnu's third racial ability should be hmm. um it should be that the Winnu get to vote with all of their influence in both in both. both agendas they do not have to split they don't have to do any that strategizing big. that way so every time the winu is like a big powerhouse, th- and then that that way if you had the Winnu and the peace turtles the yeah that it would be like, dude, this is politically a madhouse because yeah. the winu have all of these votes, and the and the peace turtles are, are deciding like, when to yeah. quash. And, yeah,
0: yeah, It's a it's a huge. I agree. At first, that sounds really powerful. Like that sounds too powerful to me. But then I think about the Lizics and I think about all these yeah, other like, races where it's like some of no, these
1: races have really, really, yeah, really powerful. That would not
0: abilities. be that weird. And honestly, that's pretty close to what their old ability was. Their previous ability was they can always use all of their home system influence in both mm-hmm. and so like this is, would still be thematically accurate but it didn't do that we're better at designing this board game than fantasy flight no. yeah we're gonna second guess <laughs> I, um
1: did you guys do any play testing maybe for the 10 years that you've had <laughs> um so let's
0: let's kind of knowing a little bit more about the agenda phase let's talk about a couple more um races let's let's yeah. dig into i think one of everyone's like favorite not not favorite to play but favorite to have in a game races is the necrovirus oh yeah they, they are the most so much. fun yeah they, they completely change the game so the necrovirus um their abilities are partially unchanged with one huge awesome exception um but let's go over the the main things the necrovirus cannot research technology um when you would research a technology, you gain three command tokens instead. That's honestly a rule that gets overlooked a lot, and people yes. always forget that you can yes. get those three command tokens when you t- like. Most people play this in the Necrovirus and go, Oh, I guess I'm never taking technology. And it's like, uh, No, actually, technology is an amazing mm-hmm. resource for you to be able to take. But uh, the other thing is they basically can siphon technology from people. What they do is once per combat, After one of your opponent's units is destroyed, you may gain one technology that is owned by that player. So this is how they take technology. Rather than just researching it, they steal it from other players. So they're this completely aggressive race. There's just, like, no reason to not Not play play them aggressively. At least taking pop shots. You don't have to, like, send a swarm of things into people, but, like, your cruisers are going to be out on the board looking to pick off.
1: That's what I love about them is that I love any race where you're given, like, a real reason to just kind of skirmish. Yeah. Like, not, mm-hmm. not, like, you, everybody will have their big fleet. It's yeah. all about having, like, that one, like, yeah. big fleet. Um, but with the Necrovirus, you have a real reason to just send out, like, to two crazers way. and just see. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, the new ability um, that is a modification of the old ability, the old ability was you cannot vote on agendas. Mm-hmm. And that was this weird, just like, oh, Yeah, bummer. I mean, come on. And it, and it was kind of to just pull them back. Um from because their their tech ability ends up being incredibly powerful. They mm-hmm. they I have seen games where the necrovirus goes way further than everybody else in getting tech. I mean, Jolnar right is the cliche like I'm going to get a bunch of tech and mm-hmm. I have seen games where the necrovirus have like six more tech than the Jolnar. Yep. Um, but the new thing that makes their not abil- their non-ability to vote more interesting is once per agenda phase after an agenda is revealed, you may predict aloud the outcome of that agenda. If your prediction is correct, you gain one technology that is owned by a player who voted how you predicted. On the surface, that's kind of like a basic thing that is cool and 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 lets you be involved in the political process mm-hmm. um, just by like mm, I think I think you guys are going to all vote for. Let's see if I get the tech. Yeah. But what that really does is put this whole metagame thing to every agenda phase that the necrovirus is a part of. Because now, what the necrovirus is really doing is making everyone put an additional cost on whether or not voting for something is in their favor. Right. Because the necrovirus can look at what is... A lot of times agendas are like, oh, it's pretty obvious that everyone's going to want to go for. If it's right. like, oh, everyone's going to get four trade goods. Right. Let's all vote for it. Now... The necrovirus gets to go, okay, it's going to be four. And everyone else has to weigh, okay, is me getting the benefits of this agenda worth the necrovirus? Is that four the trade necrovirus?
1: worth necrovirus getting to pick, yeah. basically, whatever the necrovirus wants. Yeah,
0: they just get to pick a tech. And so sometimes maybe it won't be a, be a big deal. Early game, maybe it's not that huge of a deal. But as people start to get really powerful techs, this is going to become an incredibly, mm. like, de-incentivizing ability. Uh, do
1: we want necro to get war sun?
0: Mm, maybe not this yeah. time yeah. or or and maybe if it's it, it might just specifically push one person to voting a way they wouldn't normally want to vote mm-hmm. the war, the, the embers of muat are never going to want to vote for whatever the necrovirus said they should vote for right because they will never want to just hand over war sons to the necrovirus mm-hmm. so it gives the necrovirus this just ridiculous ability to while they don't get to vote on agenda phases they totally Control how that agenda phase is going to go down right they they put a big blocker mm-hmm. on one of the options and i just think it's the coolest yeah i think
1: it's really cool too
0: um real quickly just to kind of go over their other other bits uh their their flagship is um switched with what the yin had Um, the yin got the nuke and now they have at the start of space combat choose any number of your ground forces in the system to participate in that combat as if they were ships whatever it's a fine ability it's a really good ability um i don't know exactly why it got switched with necrovirus i mean i guess it makes sense their their machine race but i mean whatever it's a good it's a good flagship so they're, and they're, their racial techs are just the ability to copy other people's racial techs. Right. So when you get into that, it really becomes a game-by-game basis. Now, obviously, the person has to have already researched their racial tech, but there are going to be racial techs that are just crazy for the virus to be able to get a hold of. And it's going to really change whether or not someone wants to, to get it. The first thing that comes to mind is if the Arborek upgrade their <laughs> ground forces... It becomes something the necrovirus can copy, and then the necrovirus gets to have production too, out of their ground forces. And
1: that's insane. Insane.
0: And then couple, let's say there's a game, I've seen people bring this up before, let's say that there's a game where there's the Arborek, and there's the Clan of Saar, and both of those races are highly incentivized to get their abilities that increase their uh, their production so now you've got if if the necrovirus can successfully copy their abilities you've got a necrovirus with floating factories and you've got a necrovirus with ground forces that can they can produce out of production the the necrovirus is just flooding the galaxy with Mm. units wherever they want Mm. and it's i mean that's just insane so the potential i mean that they've always had this potential but i feel like people are going to get racial techs more because they're not as expensive to get as they were in ti3 mm-hmm. i think you're gonna see this happen more often yeah i think so I too. mean there's very few races that are just going to totally not get any of their racial techs yeah um so i love the new necrovirus yeah me too always me loved too. them before and they're even i think they've been now.
1: bumped up i yeah. honestly i think yeah. they're i think they're more effective with it, it seems like they're going to be a lot better race now. I don't know how much better. I don't know if they're going to be, like, top tier. really whatever, depends but... on
0: how that agenda phase stuff goes. Yeah. I think there's going to be... There There will be certain games where, like, one agenda comes out where the necrovirus's involvement completely changes the way that that agenda would have gone mm-hmm. down. And and that will be, like, where the impact it's is. It's
1: exactly the kind of boost that they needed. Because yeah. the thing is, before the the complaint i think i had with them was that like well necro have to be aggressive and they don't get any kind of like if they're not yeah. they're not being aggressive right this second they get nothing for that right now they at least have something of an ability that is passive that, that influences the with, board yeah. that changes things that they get to play with all the time
0: yeah so um, let's. We've talked about the turtles before. This is a chalk Kingdom. Uh, I want to go over them a little bit a little bit too because last time we talked about them, we only talked about their diplomacy ability, uh, and we need to kind of go over their uh, agenda. agenda ability, which we we mentioned earlier. But it's Quash, which is the same as what they had before, which is when an agenda is revealed, you may spend one token from your strategy pool to discard that agenda and reveal one agenda from the top of the deck. Players vote on this agenda as, instead. This is occasionally the most useful ability in the game. Mm-hmm. But pretty rarely. Usually, you either just don't have any more strategy tokens because you had too many other things to do. Or most political agendas just aren't that important enough for you to have to quash them. But every once in a while... It's huge. It's just such a big deal. It's just so important to be able to...
1: I do. think this uh, is one of those abilities where you can make it more than it is mm-hmm. if you're if you're willing to because I mean I know if I was the turtles I and I was like maybe in a game with the Hassan or something like that some, or just somebody with a lot of money um, I would pretty much just ask them every single time the yeah. agenda was revealed if they wanted to pay me to quash yes it. yes that I and I
0: think that is where so often I think those types of things get get forgotten mm-hmm. and that's those scenarios are when twilight imperium is the most fun mm-hmm. and like it's just so hard to get new players to understand like the power of off the board deals right and, and stuff some that you of can these do. abilities
1: you have to work them you got to yeah. like kind of pimp them a little yeah. bit and yeah. make them yeah. more than they the are.
0: turtles ability is not strong because you just get to cancel an agenda it's that you are the race that gets to cancel agendas right and so you get to decide what is the value of one strategy counter from your sheet and, like, how much value do you want to, do you want to put on that for other players? I'll say
1: this. if You should never do it for free. Exactly. And if, if it's something, like, and I mean, like, even if you if it, if it you want to quash something, mm-hmm. may, like, put it to, like, because it's not like you have to be completely honest. Like, if an agenda is revealed and you're like, oh, man, I, I, I really don't want that at all i want to quash that um don't necessarily say that yeah. don't lead with that and Work someone your else agrees with you yeah. so you have get gotta, their money yeah. get their money get them to pay you to do it yeah you should always get people to pay you to do that right
0: um so let's talk about politics uh politics we kind of went over one of the abilities of it is to um control what agendas are going to hit the board um really all it is is that you get to look at the top two
1: We're talking about the strategy card Yeah, now we're talking about the strategy card politics. Um, Those two terms, I think, could get get confusing for new players.
0: Um, So when you play the politics strategy card, you get to look at the top two cards of the agenda deck, and you get to place them on the top or the bottom of the deck in any order. What that really lets you do is you get to either decide what the next agenda is going to be, or you get to see that there's a bad one coming up, and you get to make sure it doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a big deal. It's not... It's not really an incentive to take the political strategy card though because that was always the case before too was like yeah I'm going to be able to like draw the card or whatever but it's just never it's not enough in- incentive. Mm-hmm. So the other two things that they did were choose a player other than the speaker and that player against the speaker token so you get to move the like speaker. I how simple that is. Yeah, dude. it's it was always so weird political two or assembly kind of had the same power um but now they've they've simplified it and I think that's fairly powerful. I think for new players, it's still a little bit hard to see how... I think later, as you go through a game and you're like... When you pick the last strategy card, like three rounds in a row, you finally realize how powerful the speaker token is. Mm -hmm. Um, But just for extra incentive, because it's always hard to give politics enough incentive, it's also draw two action cards. Um, I still think... Politics is going to be one of those ones that is only picked every once in a while. Um,
1: no, dude, I'm going to work it. I'm because that it's it's funny because we I was just making this point about the turtles, but um, because of the wording now, uh, choose a player other than the speaker. That player gains the speaker token. I mean, obviously, you, you can give the speaker token to yourself. Um, get people to pay you to give it to you. Yeah, like ma- yeah. use it to make some money as well, because then this is m- goods. If you can get some money out of the deal, you can get an amount of money, action cards, and look at the agenda deck. Mm. And the way the agenda deck part is worded is very specific as well. Don't get confused. Look at the top two cards of the agenda deck. Place each card on the top or bottom of the deck in any order. So this could mean that you get rid of two yep. bad by putting them both on the bottom. Yep. Or decide the next two agendas. Exactly. Like, it it's... There's some power in it. Uh, I think that it kind of became like a last pick and is now more of like a mid-pick. Yeah.
0: I think there are still trade and technology are going to get picked. Trade, technology, and leadership are going to get picked like every single round. Every single time. There's no reason not to. politics will be one of those ones that you decide between like, oh, do I want politics or do I want warfare or do I want imperial? Mm -hmm. And that'll be the decision you have to make if you are one of the last picks. Mm I partially agree with you, but I just feel like my experience with TIA has always been I love the idea of getting people to pay me to do certain actions. But so often what happens is that everyone goes, mm, no, I don't care. Like, just, Cool, then you have it. Yeah. You
1: know what I mean? Like, That's that's what I love about it is that now it used to be very specific. It used to be like, we okay, yeah. well, you do this if, by giving it to someone else or you yeah. make other things happen. But it, it, I don't even remember how it worked, but I really right. didn't like it. With it being open-ended, you can work it more. Yeah. Like you can you could get someone to pay you and if you don't hey your consolation prize is you're the speaker now yeah. like that's not a bad but nor-
0: and normally price. what happens though is like even if like if you are or if you're in a situation where you can't give it to yourself almost everyone just gives it to the person to the right of them because then they're gonna at least pick second i guess right. that's my only point like but i'm just saying usually that that's...
1: situation anymore now it's you you can pretty much always give it to yourself or whoever you want right well i yeah that's what,
0: all i'm saying is if you already have it Well, a if you already have the speaker token, there's not very yeah, don't there's no incentive for you to pick politics, but the uh, added incentive might be that you can pull off something like that. Like I'm taking politics because I already am the speaker, and it means I'm willing to make some deals here Mm -hmm. of who gets it because I don't necessarily have to give it to the person to the right of me. Mm -hmm. Um, so when talking about the the added benefit they tried to give to this card is getting some extra action cards. So let's talk about action cards a little bit. I mean, at a basic level, action cards still serve the same purpose, except for there are not nearly as many of them. Um, There
1: There were too many. There were too many. They were bloated. And,
0: And I've heard, I've had some people give some fairly fair complaints about, like, the power of some of those action cards and the fact that there are so many. It's, like, impossible to plan for so many different situations. And for people who like a little bit more of a tight, kind of euro experience the action cards are too much of a loose cannon to have mm-hmm. to deal with and i kind of agree with that but again i come back to the point of like that's twilight imperium right. that's what you are that's what you're working with but now there's 50 action cards a lot of them are repeats you will pretty easily at least in the base game be able to be aware of what every single action card in the game is mm-hmm. and as far as what i've heard from people who have already played ti4 you're gonna go through that whole deck Cool. You just out like, like that. most games, you sift through almost the entire deck. So you're going to see every action card hit the table. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, I, I haven't counted to see how many like exactly different ones there are, but even just looking at the list, like there's four direct hits, there's four flank speeds, there's four maneuvering jets. I mean, there's a lot of copies of action cards. So you're going to know what you're up against way more often. Um, and when you talk about action cards, you have to talk about the Ysaral tribes in ti3 they are almost always regarded as the de facto best, best race. race now it's kind of interesting because i've seen some there's been some recent posts of people showing the statistics and it seems to be that the jolnar actually statistically win more often than the Ysaral tribes mm-hmm. but Obviously, we're not doing perfect science here, and there's a lot to say, like, well, when anytime Ysaurl tribes are a part of a game where people know that Ysaurl tribes are the best, they get right, hit now a lot a, there's harder. There's a meta yeah. against the Ysaril, So which... it's really hard to say if they are de facto the best, but we have always played in a way that, I mean, every game I've ever played with a person playing as Ysaurl, that player is first or second place. Mm-hmm. Every single time.
1: They just have a very good ability that never stops being good, yeah. and... I, they got nerfed a little bit, but I I, I think it's going to be mostly business as usual.
0: I completely disagree.
1: Oh really? Mm-hmm.
0: I think tribe tribes got a huge, huge nerf, and I kind of feel like people aren't either people aren't like reading the ability enough to understand how much it got nerfed, or maybe I'm reading it wrong. But the strength here were the strengths of the Usoral tribe. You can skip uh basically every other turn which the advantage of skipping turns out to be a lot because you can just delay all these actions and then do a ton of stuff after everyone else has exhausted all of the resources and it usually gives you you, you basically are guaranteed to get some sort of advantage out of that every single round mm-hmm. the other advantage they get is uh we're talking about ti3 here is no hand size limit and from the beginning of the game they are always gaining one more action card than everybody else right which means they get just so many action cards. It's a pretty common play to go for neuromotivator pretty, pretty quickly with. They start
1: with it still, though, right?
0: In t- well, in TI3 they don't start with it and you try to get your oh, you try to get neuromotivator and that lets you get 3 action cards per round. Yeah, that is insane. And actually. it's just really really I mean they're just get they're going through so many action cards. So here's how they changed them. And I think it is I think now they are a interestingly balanced race and I think they're like a mid-tier thing so here's here's how their new abilities work stall tactics this is one of those situations where the new wording of abilities like we talked about with um the Arborek and how they don't really explain what it is the power of that race is you just have to like infer it from reading the entire race sheet Mm -hmm. this same thing happens you have to know why the Yasarl were good in ti3 to understand why this ability is even a thing because one of their abilities is as an action discard one action card from your hand Mm mm-hmm Why would I want to do that? It doesn't make any sense. It sounds bad to a new player. But it's because what they're really doing is saying that old skip ability, now it costs something. Mm -hmm. It costs an action card. So, if we're still playing with the old Yasarl, okay, I burn an action card. I'm getting a million per round. Well. That's not the case anymore. The, their other two yeah, abilities. That's true. Okay, I, I see where you're going with this. They start with Neuromotivator, which lets them draw two action cards per round. So they're still they still have this upper leg, except for there is one other race that starts with Neuromotivator. Mm-hmm. So they don't really have a leg up if that race is in the game. And their other ability is not gain an additional action card per round. It's when you draw one or more action cards, draw one additional action card. Then choose and discard one action card from your hand. So what this ability is doing is letting you get more selective with your action cards. But like you don't
1: get more. You
0: don't get more. You are never getting more than everybody else except for just having Neural motivators, Which tech, anybody can get. Which anybody can get. It's the basic green tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not getting more. If anything, you're developing a better hand of action cards, which means this ability is working against your stall tactics because... I could discard an action card from my hand to skip a turn, Mm -hmm. but my action cards are way more valuable than everybody else's because I've kind of developed this hand that is better than everybody else's. Uh, They still have the ability to have any number of action cards in your hand, and game effects cannot prevent you from having more action cards, but you aren't getting more action cards than everybody else. So it's Mm. just like none of these things work the way they used to work.
1: That's true. Yeah, it used to, it used to be the starl would skip every round without even thinking right. just because. because sometimes you have be it wouldn't to, even be helpful. Yeah. But you would just do it because, like, why not? There's gonna, no reason yeah. not to do it. Yeah.
0: It would be a really specific situation where you would need to take an action right this second. You're
1: right. Stalling is now, it's quite costly. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more costly than it used to be. They they do get one advantage in all of this, and that they um, they can now stall indefinitely as long as they have cards. Right, they can do it back to back. They can do it back to back, which they didn't have before. But I don't know I, how important that is. But. It's
0: not very important, and again, it comes down to you don't have that many. Like I just don't I don't foresee situations where the USRL tribes have a huge hand of action cards. Yeah, like they're they used they're to. not. They're not gaining more than anybody else, and they're not. They have extra incentives to spend action cards. Mm -hmm. And, and like, think about this, too. Like, okay, let's say there's one round where I want to stall a lot. Okay, I had three action cards. I spend all three of my action cards to stall. I draw two for next round. Next round, I'm only going to be able
1: to. Dude, I wonder if it's going to make sense for Isarl to pick politics.
0: To get those extra? I mean, that that might be necessary. They have kind of added incentive to take politics, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting dynamic of the game of like having certain races that want to get particular um things but also like they can play off of the secondary of politics is to also draw action cards right you spend one
1: it takes a strategy counter so so
0: they can do that for free if they take politics but they're always going to be able to essentially get four action cards um per round now that's where that their scheming ability does come in handy because it's Anytime you draw action cards, you get to draw an additional one. So if there's mm-hmm. any game effect ever that lets you draw an action card, you get to cycle your hand. It's not just draw two, keep one of them. It's draw two, and then through your entire hand, get rid of one. So you're going to be able to burn. If you draw two it's really great ones... A, yeah,
1: it's they're going to have the best action cards yeah. in the game. Honestly, I think what's going to happen is you're just not going to see a starl stall yeah. anymore. I, don't th- I think stalling is going to be... Not, like, something that happens once in a blue moon. Right. And when it happens, it's going to be huge. Like, yeah. it's going to be, like, because it, it because needed, yeah. really needed to happen. So I think they're still great, actually, because I think what's going to end up happening is the Ysaurl is going to just have the best action yeah. card hand, and that every time there's a fight with them, it's like, oh, direct hit. Yeah. Like it's And, the, just, they're and gonna that be was still... the
0: advantage of the Ysaurl tribes before, was the reason they're so good is because they're so unpredictable, mm-hmm. and unpredictability is what wins uti
1: games yeah usually i um, still think they're good i still think they're high tier i don't think they're the de facto best anymore right um i think but that, they're still pretty good yeah i'm um, still standing by i think that their
0: the flagship is really cool their but really specific so cool. <laughs> um this ship can move through systems that contain other players ships that's cool but it's not an entire fleet so you're never gonna take a like you're never gonna jump over some you know someone's i you know how when people just put a destroyer out there to to block mm-hmm. their home system okay so you can jump over that destroyer now but you're not going to be able to take a big fleet so you're never going to use this flagship to like wipe out someone's huge home base force yeah now you might be able to use this flagship if someone left their home system undefended you're going to be able to jump over and do that but if that flagship is on the board people are going to play against that like people are going to know it's coming and and play against that's you that's true so I think it's a good flagship, but it is not an amazing flagship. It rolls well. Five two on a five. It's, it's got two good. movement. It has to. Yeah. Um, it's and got it's got, three, got capacity. three capacity, which is fine. You know, take take this ship and three fighters and maybe wipe out a force of something.
1: Or take that ship and three ground forces and steal like, a home steal system. some steal some systems. Yeah.
0: So it's good, it's but it's it is maybe not amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then their racial tech is weird. In my opinion, um, they have transparence steel plating. During your turn of the action phase, players that have passed cannot play action cards. It's really cheap. It's a. It has a base cost of one green. So you, you, it's something you can get really early, but it's just not gonna come up that often. It's very specific. It's what it. What this tech is playing into is this stall tactics idea, but because stall tactics are is not very good if if they could get this tech in ti3 which i don't even remember i, I haven't played with ysarl in a game in so long i don't remember what their yeah, ti3 we, we racial we tech. got away from them yeah.
1: in our yeah we, we don't play with them so,
0: so but what this would be very powerful in ti3 ysarl's hands mm-hmm. because they stall they stall they stall suddenly they're doing all of their turns after everyone has passed and no one gets to use action cards against them that's huge yeah but that's just not going to be happening in ti4 so i don't think that tech is incredibly powerful it could i
1: think i think what it is actually is it's a light game tech yeah what it is is you have a crazy hand of action cards you've got more than you need and you're realizing like okay like there's going to be some big fights coming up i'm buying this
0: so that i can use it and for i'm going to burn learn, yeah.
1: like even some crazy action cards just to lock everybody down and yep. clean up yeah yeah, i think it's be, it, actually a late game it's
0: good tech. it'll be good for that late game push it's mm-hmm. a tech that you use one time but it wins you the game yeah kind of and thing. you're gonna
1: you, you're to there's no reason to buy that early game i nope. can't see which is weird that it's so cheap but yeah. whatever yeah um
0: it, it'll be a late game tech that you can always afford mm-hmm. actually you can automatically afford it. you start with a green so yeah. th- like you can afford it from the beginning of the game but you're just there's no reason to get it early yeah. uh the second one is mageon implants which is as an action exhaust this card to look at another player's hand of action cards choose one of those cards and add it to your hand uh, i believe this was a racial tech that they also had in ti i think so yeah um, i recognize the name and it's good i don't think it's amazing it's really costly it's like a late game green tech
1: it's an action though i don't and know it, if it was an action before yeah i don't remember i think
0: it was a status phase thing before
1: mm-hmm. oh i think you're right um but it, now it's an action, so it's also... It's another, it's another stall delay, tactic, basically. Yeah. So I would I think that one is worth getting. Actually, I think I would get that in most games. It just
0: comes down to... I, and the, the problem with any racial tech is, is it more important than all the other tech you need to get?
1: Right, I don't know The that. big
0: note here is they do not start with... No one starts with XRD transporters anymore. That mm-hmm. was the other huge power of Yusara, was yeah. two carriers and XRD transporters. They're going to start with the best economy almost always. Nobody has that ability anymore. So, like... There's just all.
1: Do they still start with two carriers? Yes, they still yeah. start with two carriers. Cool. They and start with five
0: to... They start. They start with a good force, but it's not going to be put to as good of use as they used to. God, I can't wait and... to do the first round. Yeah, yeah. I just, mean, I just, I just wonder. I wonder, with any racial tech that is like a, an okay tech, a good tech. I mean, a good racial tech. Does it ever get better than the normal? generic techs that you can get Mm because a lot of times those are always better to go for you know getting better cruisers and getting you know neural or just getting all these different things tends to be more worth your time than like the ability to look at someone's hand of cards and take one card.
1: it just depends it depends on what kind of game you're having
0: yeah i think this is another example of one of those win more techs Mm -hmm. if you're having a good game and you've got all the tech you need get that tech but it's like it's not it's not a tech that helps you come from behind Mm -hmm. If you're having a rough game, you're never going to get that tech. It is not going to turn the tides of battle for you. Yeah, probably not. Um, Whereas, honestly, Transparas Steel Plating could. If you're having a bad game and having trouble getting other tech, you can get that and just decide, you know what? I'm going to start using my action cards to stall all the time so that I can play against other people's action cards.
1: Right, right. So I can force them to pass and then... If anything
0: trans still Plating gives you this weird option of what kind of game do I want to have as the Asauro? Do I want to have the game where I get a ton of action cards and they're all really good and I use them against everybody? Or do I want to have the game where I get a ton of action cards and I use all of those action cards to stall so that nobody can use their action cards against me? Yeah. And you have this definitive choice. And you can switch halfway through. Mm-hmm.
1: I, think, I think in general, though, that round where you force someone to pass so you can then fight them... I think you're probably only going to have about like one round worth, maybe two rounds mm-hmm. worth of that because now that you're not now that you're not getting as many action cards as, yeah. you're, as you used to i think you're only really going to be able to effectively do that like maybe once or twice yes. yeah
0: most of the time it's not going to be worth doing um to give you enough of a bonus mm-hmm. so that's the usarl that's politics that's imperial mm-hmm. uh we're gonna we're gonna call it there Uh, next time we'll talk about technology Mm -hmm. that's going to be a big discussion because really all we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about every tech uh and we're going to talk about a couple races that um are tech focused races Mm -hmm. we have
1: it it is nice that we have covered a lot of the races at this point um we only have a couple left to cover in general so
0: so we'll see you then
1: yeah adios All right, welcome back to another um, segment of Podcast Errata. There's a bunch of things we messed up last week, and we want to talk about them. Um, And also just kind of some opinion stuff, too. But there's definitely some stuff uh, that we messed up. So, yeah, let's get to it.
0: Yeah, so first up, um, let's cover a couple things about the Sardak Noor that we just... These are kind of like things we overlooked. Um, Musashi Daryl from Board Game Geek said, um, maybe it's not clear... But the Sardak-Nor's um, improved Dreadnoughts actually destroys two ships. I think I don't even think we kind of specifically said anything about it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really important to note that it's destroy two ships, not deal two hits. So if you blow up your Dreadnought, you could feasibly take out two war sons or right. two Dreadnoughts. Right. And so when we were talking about Sardak-Nor, we said their ability is just better than the Yin's whole racial ability and I think this is even, even a more step so better. A point, yeah. So um, a lot of people pointed out that like, well, it's some it's a decent amount of tech deep, but it's it's a normal dreadnought upgrade deep. It's two blue, one yellow. And I think those three techs are techs that Sardak and or are going to want to get. They're gonna want that gravity drive movement upgrade, and they're gonna want the Sarween Tools production ability and honestly i think that's the only tech sardac is going to want to go for because they're going to not want to waste their money on anything else so i think it is worth it for the sardac to get these better dreadnoughts and then just be done with tech
1: yeah and not worry about it another reason
0: you would want those dreadnoughts is um well actually you you don't even need to upgrade them to have this ability because something else we overlooked that viking ship from reddit twilight imperium pointed out is um that Sardec Noor's bombardment is better than everybody else's bombardment. They get their bombardment on a four and they roll two dice from a baseline. Their upgrade has the same thing, but like we talked a lot about these races that have the ability to just like turtle up and put a bunch of dudes on planets. And in addition to just their combat upgrades, they've given Sardak Noor sort of this counter to that. So that that's definitely really useful. It brings Sardak Noor up a little bit in our books. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say it, you know, makes them some amazing race, but it definitely uh, makes them more relevant in
1: the war game. And they they might be able to deal uh, more easily with races like uh, the Arborex yes. or possibly even Yin. Yeah. Um, yeah, races that seem to rely heavily or more heavily on uh, ground forces. yeah.
0: Um, and one other thing, we put the challenge out there to uh, kind of tell us what the math
1: is for Sardak-Nor,
0: how it breaks down when they have a plus one combat advantage. What does that mean in the dice? And what does that mean for what their strategy should reflect as far as like the statistics? Yeah, if
1: somebody could just break down the numbers. Yeah. And
0: Pedro from Board Game Geek did exactly that for us. And this is incredibly helpful to help you understand what you really should do with Sardak-Nor's advantage because that plus one really only gives you an advantage in certain areas. And he pointed out, that really it's the cheaper units and the smaller ships that you get the better advantage from essentially your carriers your fighters your destroyers that all roll on a 9 that with Nor now roll on an 8 that is a 50% increase in value versus something like a war sun Going from a three to a two, you only see a 12.5 increase in value. So your strategy with Sartagnore, the way the, the way you're going to utilize your advantage is getting a lot of cheap ships on the board very, very quickly and start lashing out at people because before they have any big ships, you can you can capitalize on having these really good cheap units out. So it's it's a really great strategic advantage that Pedro pointed out to us. Uh, and it's it's exactly what we were looking for. We knew those numbers broke down in, in a usable way uh we just aren't math heads so we didn't we didn't know the answer so thank you pedro for that, that that's, yeah, that's incredibly useful that's super awesome that you did that Bogzall from board game geek uh talked about letnev's armada racial ability coming down to getting two additional command counters at the start of the game uh and this is a good point because um i do think i still think this is a great ability and it it is like technically going to be worth more than this throughout the game but it is early game it really is only an advantage of two command counters and when you compare that to something like federation of soul who are gaining an extra command counter every single round of the game it's kind of easy to look at soul and say well that ability is just clearly better um but i don't think it's as simple as like well now i don't have to worry about two command counters because it's like every single round you're not having to worry about those two command counters Mm -hmm. so i think it pays a little bit more than that but you are right that kind of at a baseline especially in the early game it might not um sound like as big of a deal. Um except for I would say there's a couple strategies you can use um, those command counters for. We'll talk about that a lot more when we do um, our starting round strategies for each race, but I will say something I'm thinking about doing when I play as Letnev is always taking warfare. You know, do a move, get your stuff out there, and then when you pull that command counter, immediately redistribute your your fleet supply to one because that's still three. That's still what everybody else is going to be at. Mm-hmm. And so you've just added two more command counters to your first round or two of play. And I think that could be an early advantage if you choose to really specifically capitalize on it.
1: Yeah, you, you have to know exactly what you want to do with those command counters yeah. always. But. Uh,
0: Michael from Board Game Geek um, talked a little bit about the Lizics, um and just like reasons why he doesn't maybe think they're the best race um, and why some of the races might be better. There's a few races we still haven't talked about that we're incredibly excited about. Um, So Lizzix is really the only one we've shown like our huge amount of excitement for and we probably just need to take this time to say Yeah, we should probably dial it back a a little bit a little
1: too stoked the ability sounded really really cool and really really interesting and I think we let ourselves get super excited Yeah, yeah, so
0: um, those we kind of are working on this test uh, where we we determine the strength of something based on like how often can you use it? How easy is it to use and if you can use it a lot and it's easy It is technically a better ability and... Um, the Lizard's ability—they don't, don't really pass that test. It's still an incredibly powerful ability, and I still think they're a top-tier race for sure. But we went a little ahead of ourselves and said, "If you don't think they're the best race, you're crazy." And we that we got really cocky. We in were this crazy. We got re- we got really cocky, and in general, yeah, we should we should be taken down a peg and get off our soapbox a little bit. But you know what? This is our podcast.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and we're learning with you guys too. Um
0: So another point that was brought up by a couple people, but uh, most specifically Robo Fish from Fantasy Flight, who I have to say, sorry, Robofish, Fish. For some reason, I called you Jumbo Fish last uh, episode, and I'll never be more embarrassed in the rest of my life. But you talked about uh, the Arborex, and um, one of the points you were making was about how Arborex racial tech isn't necessarily as required as we were saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't a hundred percent agree with that. But you pointed out mostly that Sarween tools it is is what is a required get with. Arborek. And one of the problems with the format we're doing right now is we haven't really talked about a lot of the generic techs. And you're absolutely right. We didn't bring this up at all. Um, But Sarween Tools definitely add that to your list of you have to get that first round as Arborek because that makes your whole strategy work. Um, Sarween Tools works with Arborek's ability now where they can compile all of their ground forces together within a system and build out of it. So really, you should get
1: you should get your free ground units every, every single time you move. Every single time. So, so every I, time you move, you're using that one free production that you get off of, or that that one, basically one free resource mm-hmm. you get off of Starween Tools to produce a free set of ground units, right. basically. Right.
0: And and using that to enhance your production later. You, you use that ability early to get a lot, a lot, a lot of ground forces out, and then you don't worry so much about having to, like, pull your... Uh, Ground forces around with their racial tech. So I do agree, maybe that specific racial tech isn't as required. I still think upgrading the ground forces to have production capacity too is a required get because that's just so powerful late game. Mm-hmm. But there are other tech where they can just shuffle guys around, maybe not required, uh, but there are certainly strategies that will uh, use it very, very well. Uh, and also, Jim v from uh, Reddit Twilight Imperium talked about. Um, the Arborx flagship, and we tried to like kind of talk about what we thought that ability we of... Were we, we were just
1: kind of guessing. We had no idea how to apply the flagship to an overall strategy, and basically and Jimbo gave it to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. So
0: the strategy really is you use that... You can produce five things at the beginning of an activation sequence, and what you should really do is use those five to dump five ground forces on a planet and then immediately be able to build... Way more stuff. So let's make, say you already had four ground forces on the planet. You can dump five more, and then at the production step of that same activation, build nine more units. It's, it's just an insane amount of stuff that you can get out on the board very, very quickly.
1: I'm, I'm willing to say, even after considering all of this, that, yeah, maybe the, the upgraded ground forces aren't super like necessary, just because it sounds like now you're going to have so many options for production just mm-hmm. out of regular ground forces that you might not feel the need. But if Doubling you did, it. if you double them, then you could use this flagship to basically, I mean, what, that's 10. That's a production of 10 that you can just make out of nowhere, right. out of thin air. Yeah. You can create basically an entire new fleet. Right. It's huge. Yeah.
0: Um, and as long as you've got the money to support it, that that's going to be a really, really big deal. Okay, so, and then one more thing. Uh, this, is, this is a correction. This is, I, I would say, one of the things we really got wrong last episode. We were talking about the construction strategy card, mm-hmm. and... Um, we kind of glazed over the fact that in the text of the secondary for the strategy card, specifically says that the uh, strategy token that you play to do the ability, you have to place that token in the space where you decide to build your single space dock or your single PDS. And for that reason, combined with the fact that we still agree that command counters are in shorter supply, I don't see this ability getting used very often. I do think this makes construction... More important to take because yeah. now you're not you're just almost never going to want to use the secondary of it because it just kind of costs too much. But someone every round is going to want to use that primary ability. But that sure. means we talked a lot about PDSs getting out on the board very quickly. Probably mm-hmm. not the case. It's probably going to take a lot longer now for PDSs to hit the board because really the only person that will probably be playing PDSs is, is the person who has the primary of that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, I just. It definitely slows things down a lot, and it's a big oversight by us to just kind of think all this stuff was going to hit the board so quickly.
1: Yeah, but the strategy card is definitely more powerful than we read. We literally, This is literally just like a misread on yeah. our part. Um, and then also pretty much every production race we've talked about I feel like takes a bump up because Arborec, um now that space docks are a little harder to build – Arborek is going to have more of an advantage because they can produce all the time. Clan uh, Clannosaurus, since they can move their space dock, uh, will probably also take a big bump. Yeah,
0: that. yeah. The, w- those two races in particular have just seen a massive increase in their abilities um, from their TI3 versions. In TI3, there were just so many things limiting them from doing what you actually wanted to do with their race. And this time around, they've They've just said, you know what? Why are we overcomplicating things? Let's make this race what it is supposed to be. And I guess we'll find out if that makes them just way too overpowered. I don't think it will be. I think they'll be okay. But there's definitely a chance that the Arborek could just get away from everybody.
1: Right, I really think so. Um, And, well, yeah, so that's pretty much everything that everyone had to discuss. Uh, There's definitely nothing else that anyone wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, all pretty, pretty solid
0: effort on our part. I think we, yeah, we yeah. really I nailed think we, it. We
1: pretty much nailed it. We didn't get a whole lot wrong. I mean, that construction yeah. thing was pretty bad, but that's besides it. that, yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, there was one thing.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, every single person on the internet had something to say about our opinions on the Yin Brotherhood.
1: And their dogs.
0: And their dogs. Uh, so, uh, because of that, we are actually going to do a whole separate episode of errata for the yin brotherhood it's just too much to talk about to fit into this already very very long
1: episode we came out hard against the yin brotherhood Mm -hmm. and the community disagreed very (laughs) vocally.
0: so we want to talk about all those things so stay tuned for the next couple days Uh, we'll have another episode out that is going to be kind of like a micro errata episode hopefully we'll fit everything within 20 minutes but we'll see uh but yeah we're just gonna we're going to talk about everything we can about the yin Uh, before we move on to like our next big topic
1: so there you go you know you guys you know if you guys disagree with us strong enough and vocally enough you will get a whole extra episode of content this is the precedent that we're setting is that if you really want more stuff then be loud and talk and we'll we'll do it we'll go with you
0: thanks so much for listening to space cats peace turtles yeah adios Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thank you to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.